Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of acute cholecystitis found under the gastrointestinal section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 40-year-old obese woman presents to the emergency room for pain in her right upper quadrant of her abdomen. She reports that she has had similar pain on and off for the past few weeks, but this time the pain has persisted for over an hour. She also reports nausea, vomiting, and loss of appetite. On physical exam, she has right upper quadrant pain and inspiratory arrest with deep palpation of the area. An ultrasound of that area reveals distended gallbladder with thickened gallbladder wall and gallstones. She is admitted for further management and the general surgery team is consulted for possible surgery within the next 72 hours. Let's continue with an introduction to acute cholecystitis. Clinically, it is defined as acute inflammation of the gallbladder, often in the setting of gallstones or biliary sludge. There are two subtypes, one of which is acalculus cholecystitis, with the etiology being gallbladder stasis, hypoperfusion, and infection, and it is often seen in very ill patients and is associated with high mortality. The other subtype is calculus cholecystitis, with the etiology being gallstone impaction resulting in inflammation and is the more common subtype. With regards to epidemiology, remember that demographically it affects females more than males and tends to present in adults. Risk factors include gallstones, the five Fs, which are fat, female, 40, flatulent, and fertile, as well as hormone replacement therapy, obesity, and hypertriglyceridemia. The infectious etiology may include the EEEK bugs, which stands for E. coli, Enterobacter, Enterococcus, and Klebsiella. And the pathogenesis is due to blockage of the cystic duct by gallstones, which can lead to distension of the gallbladder, inflammation, and infection. Moving on to the presentation, symptoms may include systemic symptoms, such as fevers, chills, as well as nausea and vomiting, anorexia, and right upper quadrant pain, which may radiate to the shoulder. On physical exam, when inspecting the patient, remember that jaundice will typically not be seen. On palpation, one may note right upper quadrant tenderness. Peritoneal signs may indicate perforation, and the gallbladder may be palpable. Specific tests that may be performed include the Murphy sign, which is a rest of inspiration with palpation of the right upper quadrant, or the BOAS sign, which is hyperesthesia to light touch in the right upper quadrant or infrascapular area. Studies that may be performed include imaging, such as right upper quadrant ultrasound, which is the best initial imaging test, and specific findings may include stones, biliary sludge, thickened gallbladder wall, and an ultrasonic Murphy sign. One may also perform cholecystography or a HIDA scan, which is indicated if ultrasound findings are equivocal, but clinical suspicion remains strong, and specific findings may include a lack of gallbladder visualization, which implies obstruction. And one may also perform computed tomography of the abdomen and pelvis, which is indicated to rule out other abdominal pathologies. Specific findings may include gallbladder distension, a thickened gallbladder wall, pericholecystic fat stranding, and abscesses. One may also perform other serum studies, which may demonstrate an increased or normal alkaline phosphatase, an increased or normal bilirubin, and an increased or normal white blood cell count. And in terms of the diagnostic criteria, remember that there should be local inflammation, which may be suggested by the Murphy sign or right upper quadrant tenderness. There should also be systemic inflammation, which is suggested by fevers or increased white blood cell count. And on imaging, one should have findings of cholecystitis. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about acute pancreatitis, 
with distinguishing factors being that it usually has elevated lipase and epigastric tenderness, and it may also be associated with gallstones. With regards to treatment, first-line treatments include supportive care, which would include intravenous fluids, electrolyte repletion, and analgesia. One should also give intravenous antibiotics, and one may perform non-emergent cholecystectomy, which is usually done within 72 hours. Emergent cholecystectomy may be indicated in patients that have generalized peritonitis, or patients with perforated cholecystitis, or gangrenous cholecystitis. Second-line treatment would be percutaneous drainage, which is indicated in patients that are medically unstable for cholecystectomy. And finally, complications related to acute cholecystitis include ascending cholangitis, gallbladder perforation, and post-cholecystectomy syndrome, which as the name implies occurs after a cholecystectomy, it presents with right upper quadrant pain, and may demonstrate increased AST, ALT, and alkaline phosphatase, and it is managed with ultrasound and endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, or ERCP. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to acute cholecystitis, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 44-year-old woman presents to the emergency department with abdominal pain. The symptom started yesterday and has been gradually worsening. The patient has a past medical history of acute cholecystitis and her gallbladder removed one month ago. Her temperature is 97.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.5 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 144 over 84. Pulse is 89 beats per minute. Respirations are 12 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. Physical exam is notable for right upper quadrant tenderness to palpation. An ultrasound is performed, demonstrating a dilated common bile duct in an absence of a gallbladder. Laboratory studies are performed and demonstrate hemoglobin of 13 grams per deciliter, hematocrit of 37%, leukocyte count of 9,500 per millimeter cubed with a normal differential, platelet count of 168,000 per millimeter cubed, and serum studies demonstrate a sodium of 139 milliequivalents per liter, a chloride of 100 milliequivalents per liter, potassium of 4.8 milliequivalents per liter, bicarbonate of 25 milliequivalents per liter, BUN of 23 milligrams per deciliter, glucose of 99 milligrams per deciliter, creatinine of 1.2 milligrams per deciliter, calcium of 10.2 milligrams per deciliter, AST of 82 units per liter, ALT of 100 units per liter, and alkaline phosphatase of 250 units per liter. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management? And the answer choices are, choice one, CT abdomen pelvis. Choice two, endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography. Choice three, laparoscopy. Choice four, MRI abdomen pelvis. Or choice five, pain control and reassurance. The best answer to this question is choice two, endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography. This patient is presenting with right upper quadrant abdominal pain, an ultrasound demonstrating a dilated common bile duct, and labs demonstrating an elevated AST, ALT, and alkaline phosphatase. In the setting of her recent cholecystectomy, a diagnosis of post-cholecystectomy syndrome is suspected, and further workup is needed with endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography. Post-cholecystectomy syndrome presents after cholecystectomy with similar symptoms of cholecystitis, including right upper quadrant pain or discomfort. 
The most appropriate initial step in management is an ultrasound demonstrating a dilated common bile duct. Lab tests can further support the diagnosis and will demonstrate elevated AST, ALT, and alkaline phosphatase. If the diagnosis is suspected, further workup is indicated and can include magnetic resonance cholangiopancreatography, or MRCP, or endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, or ERCP, or endoscopic ultrasound. Treatment should target the underlying cause, such as a retained stone or sphincter of OD dysfunction. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. CT abdomen pelvis would not add additional useful detail to this patient's diagnosis given the ultrasound findings. After an ultrasound demonstrating common bile duct dilation, a more accurate test such as ERCP and MRCP is needed. Choice 3. Laparoscopy is performed to search for an etiology of a patient's symptoms, which is typically abdominal or pelvic pain, and diagnose the pathology and possibly correct it. For example, Endometriosis, which is caused by retrograde menstruation causing dysmenorrhea, dyskesia, and dyspareunia, can be diagnosed and treated with laparoscopy to localize the lesions and ablation. Choice 4. MRI abdomen pelvis would be an inappropriate further test to characterize and treat this patient's postcholecystectomy pain. It could be appropriate in diagnosing appendicitis, which would present with periumbilical pain that migrates to the right lower quadrant in a pregnant patient or child to avoid radiation exposure. Choice 5. Pain control and reassurance are inappropriate as this patient may have a retained stone or sphincter of OD dysfunction, which requires further diagnostic testing and treatment. And finally, a bullet summary. Postcholecystectomy syndrome requires confirmation of the diagnosis with endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, magnetic resonance cholangiopancreatography, or endoscopic ultrasound. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 48-year-old female presents to the emergency department with fevers and worsening abdominal pain for 24 hours. Exam demonstrates an overweight female in distress. Abdominal exam is notable for tenderness to palpation in the right upper quadrant and a positive ultrasonic Murphy sign. Right upper quadrant ultrasound is performed and demonstrates gallbladder wall thickening and gallstones. Vital signs demonstrate a temperature of 102.1 degrees Fahrenheit, heart rate of 84 beats per minute, blood pressure of 135 over 92, respiratory rate of 14 breaths per minute, and O2 saturation of 97%. Lab studies demonstrate leukocytosis. What is the next best step in management? The answer choices are, choice one, IV fluid hydration, analgesics, NPO, and interval cholecystectomy after seven days of antibiotic therapy. Choice two, IV fluid hydration, analgesics, NPO, an open cholecystectomy. Choice three, IV fluid hydration, analgesics, NPO, and laparoscopic cholecystectomy. Choice four, IV fluid hydration, analgesics, NPO, and HIDA scan. Or choice five, IV fluid hydration, analgesics, NPO, and endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography, or ERCP. The best answer to this question is choice three, IV fluid hydration, analgesics, NPO, and laparoscopic cholecystectomy. This patient presents with acute calculus cholecystitis. Definitive surgical management in the initial hospitalization should occur with laparoscopic cholecystectomy being the operation of choice. Acute calculus cholecystitis is caused by obstruction of the gallbladder neck by a gallstone. This obstruction leads to increased pressure and distension of the gallbladder. 
Over time, edema, release of inflammatory mediators, and bacterial extravasation into the parenchyma lead to inflammation. The management of acute cholecystitis involves IV hydration, analgesia for pain, nil paras, and surgical excision. Surgical management should occur during the initial hospitalization and within 72 hours of symptomatic onset. If surgery isn't possible within this initial period, an interval cholecystectomy after antibiotic therapy is preferred. The study by Abraham et al. discusses the different management strategies for acute cholecystitis. They conclude that laparoscopic cholecystectomy remains the surgery of choice as it has an improved recovery time with a shorter length of hospital stay. For patients with symptomatic cholecystitis who are too ill for surgery, decompression with percutaneous cholecystostomy is a viable strategy. The study by Yang et al. reviewed the risk factors for conversion of laparoscopic cholecystectomy to open cholecystectomy. They found that prior abdominal surgery, concomitant diabetes, age greater than 65, male gender, and thickened gallbladder wall were independent risk factors for surgical conversion. Let's also discuss why the other answer choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Interval cholecystectomy isn't recommended as this patient is within the 72-hour window from symptom onset. Choice 2. Open cholecystectomy is not required as a laparoscopic approach is preferred. Choice 4. A HIDA scan is a diagnostic tool for diagnosis of cholelithiasis. This patient has sufficient diagnostic data to conclude acute cholecystitis. Choice 5. ERCP is both diagnostic and therapeutic for cholelithiasis. There is no evidence of common duct stones in this patient, and if there is concern, an intraoperative cholangiogram is the procedure of choice. That's all for this review about acute cholecystitis. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here, on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.